From the time I was five years old, I thought Jimmy was a really weird kid. There was something not quite right. He was obsessed with religion. He was obsessed with death. And that was Chuck Wilmore, childhood friends of James Jones. James Jones. Jim Jones. <laughs> not the actor. The cult leader. We're going to uh, talk about the people's temple. <laughs> woo! I thought you just went with James. You were thinking of Jimmy and he's weird. So, you know. <laughs> when I was looking for pictures of his family, I kept writing James Jones. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> okay, so my sauces. The Road to Joe's Town, um, which was a great book, very long, very detailed. Um, last podcast on the left, they had a good series on it, Rolling Stone, Wikipedia, and the PBS. Okay, then. Okay, right? Talking about diverse sources. <laughs> it wasn't Mr. Rogers, though. Don't worry. <laughs> he did an episode on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to be his neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Want to drink my Kool-Aid? <laughs> Would you drink my Kool-Aid? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually really pretty, that that key you did that in. I, thanks. I'm impressed. <laughs> I did not practice. If I tried to do it again, it'd be like... <laughs> be like Mothman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jonestown is very unique because people will go like, not only did these people join a cult, they went to a whole ass another country, and then they drank shit that made them commit suicide. And there's always that worst vacation ever. Yeah, One worst out of vacation. five would not recommend. <laughs> Fucking got malaria. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, in those cases, people look at both not just the person who created the cult, but the people who were victims of it as equal people of responsibility. And that's not necessarily the case. It's very short sighted. Many of these people are who are victims of cults are just like any other person. And just like those people who mistake pools of blood for pain and wine. We are not looking for the negative innately. <laughs> People are more willing to see the perceived benefits than they are to see the potential dangers in most situations. Many people actually enter cults without even realizing it, um, as we've seen in our past series. Kind of like people who enter MLMs and pyramid schemes and don't realize it. Obviously, I know we're talking different scales, but the same kind of concept. Sometimes people just are naive to what they're yeah, becoming they'll think, part of. They'll think pyramid scheme, they're going to think about like Sensi and Avon and stuff, and then they'll come up with another new one and people don't realize that's what it is right? until it's too late. They prey on people who have depression, low self-esteem. They love bomb recruits like abusive, scouse, abusive spouses. The indoctrination takes time and it happens in stages. They'll isolate people, remove their personal possessions and connections from them for their own good. And they also will have these people prove allegiance in the form of self-incrimination like they did with the Nexium cult, where they would have women provide nude photos or other documentation that they could hold against them should they leave the cult. People are brainwashed and not leaving and often gaslit. And if they try to state that the cult they're in is dangerous, people don't want to hear it. They'll fight against it. Same as an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And then it also could be in the tough in the respect that many of their fellow members are taught to be watching for what they deem as negative people, such as in Scientology, where they speak against people who speak against a church are labeled as suppressive peoples. Cults, while often centered about religion, could be about anything. Many people join cults because they believe they're being offered solid, absolute answers for questions such as good versus evil, religion, the meaning of life, politics, whatever you think. Um, they could be lifestyle groups, business groups, political groups. And surviving doesn't mean that the emotional turmoil stops at the door. 
These victims often live the rest of their lives trying to heal from the damages they experienced. There are a multitude of resources available for survivors of cults and people who are wishing to leave the, the one that they're in. There are deprogramming options as well as counselors that specialize in this area. One good resource um, I'll put at the end of the episode, just in case you're in a cult and you may figure it out, just hearing what the people of Jonestown went through. <laughs> it was very important that we address this before we get in because we're going to make jokes that this is also uh, a very, very tough story to talk about and to really see what happened to these people. So I feel bad for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, before I... I guess I just never realized how many levels of it was. It was, you know, you think about it just being one straight shot of a thought, but there's so many different stages of people who are in cults, people who become disenchanted, people who become fully immersed. So let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> James Warren Jones, not the actor, was born May 13th, 1931. His birthday is only three days before Jimmy's. <laughs> James, James, Jimmy, Jim. Mm -hmm. In the rural community of Crete, Indiana, to James Thurman Jones and Lynetta Putnam. Her original name was Lunette, which is a cool name, but she was like, eh. So, bitch remixed her own name. She was kind of a nut. <laughs> His father was a disabled World War I veteran who suffered from severe breathing difficulties due to the injuries he is sustained with chemical weapons attacks. They would be debilitating for the rest of his life, both physically and mentally. And although he came from a wealthy, the wealthy, he came from a wealthy family. <laughs> he came from a wealthy family. He actually was a bland person with no ambitions in life. Okay. People would call him Big Jim. And then as Jim Jones got older, they would call his father Old Jim due to his crippled uh, condition. He would spend time just hanging out in the local pool hall, playing, but mostly watching people play cards. And the whole time he was sober. Okay. Like. He did not have any ambition, did he? Nope. He was just kind of a run-of-the-mill like, boring guy, huh? You could think, okay, alcoholic, just want to play cards. No, this motherfucker was straight ass sober. Just sitting in a corner watching people. Watching people playing, like, Weezing. poker and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Big Jim, I'm going to need you to calm down, Okay. It's just creepy Jim over there. We call him <laughs> Big Jim to his face because we won't be mean. <laughs> his mother's name for Jim Jones was Jimba. Like Simba, but with a J. Okay. I'm starting to see why he turned out the way he did. <laughs> right? This was his mother's fourth marriage by the time she was 25. Yowza! Yeah. Big Jim was old enough to be her father. Okay. So she was like a... Sugar baby, I Did guess. Did she have affairs on him? Oh, yeah. She ended up, like, I guess, leaving him down the line. It was sure. That's sad. why you marry Big Jim. He just sits in the corner watching people play cards. You go do whatever the fuck you want. Wait, that doesn't sound exciting to me. And his family was wealthy, so you're hoping that, like, all your bills are paid. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what he did. <laughs> um, she had a vision when she was pregnant with Jim of the Egyptian river of death and then dying on the cross. She was, you know. Eccentric. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, <laughs> I saw you struggling for an, a, a PC correct word to use. Right? <laughs> she was fucking crazy. <laughs> she was also visited by her mother's spirit who said that she could not die yet due to having to live to give birth to an amazing man. 
And we're not talking about Tom Hanks here. We're talking about Jim Jones. I love me some Tom Hanks. Me too. If he ever came out bad, I would fucking be heartbroken. I would too. I'd be like the world's old. Knock on wood. I can't. (laughs) Despite this idea, she actually never cared for her son or taking care of him. And she pretty much pretended he didn't exist, leaving him to his own, own devices most of the time. That is precious. She was very grandiose and flamboyant, telling stories that were not true to be more important than she really was. And she would change her name a lot. Lunette, Lanette, Lynetta. But she never told anyone about the her preference and was super offended if you called her by the wrong name. Bitch, you change it all the time. I know. <laughs> hey, Lunetta. Bitch, it's Lanetta. <laughs> God. Can't These hoes. These hoes. <laughs> She was known as having a foul mouth. Same. Same. Um, paltry, Guilty. Paltry reputation. Same. Guilty. <laughs> she was actually an atheist and would openly speak to Jim about it. And he mimicked behaviors of his mother because he was a mama's boy. So wait, hold up. She was atheist and then he became Jim Jones? Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Carry on. He frequently stole candy for merchants in town and his mother was often required to have to go by and pay for his debts. Jones regularly used pro- offensive profanity, commonly greeted his friends and neighbors by saying, Good morning, you son of a bitch, or hello, you dirty bastard. Same. <laughs> I say all you the time. your patience, right? What's up, bitches? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because old Jim was disabled, they were pretty poor, and his family bought them a house and set them up um, because they were rich. This was on the condition that Lynetta would get a job, though. And so she would work as an assembly line worker at Winchester Glass Factory and would also embellish stories about her time there. She would state that she was a labor union leader and led protests on unfair work conditions. Never happened. (laughs) (laughs) The new home where Jones grew up lacked plumbing and electricity. Wait, they bought him a house, but they didn't splurge for plumbing and electricity? No, no. Uh-uh. We going bare bones, baby. I thought we were rich here, people. <laughs> well, how do you say rich? By being fucking frugal, I guess. I guess so. Um, That's why all these NBA players end up, and F, uh, uh, NFL players end up being fucking broke as shit. They make all their money in the span of five years and blow that shit. Well, I mean, I don't feel like electricity and plumbing is blowing <laughs> it, per se. <laughs> Jennifer's like, don't live above your means. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm the gal that cannot live without uh, without air conditioning. <laughs> we were literally talking about going to Thailand the other day because we got our passports now. And we're like, oh, now we can travel abroad. And I was, we're looking at all these beautiful resorts that are like all inclusive. It looks like Bali, but it's cheaper. Right. Um, and I was like, wait a second. All these have fucking open ass windows and doors. First of all, safety. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, bugs. Second of all, bugs. Third, where's the fucking air conditioning? This isn't going to work for me. No, 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 no. That's a fucking jungle. What part of me looks like I want to be there without fucking air conditioning? And having to open the windows and invite malaria in. (laughs) No, 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 no. I know I'll die, okay? 100%. (laughs) I can't even get past the first week of fucking school without dying. 10 out of 10, I'll die. (laughs) (laughs) I was talking about you last night with um, with the apocalypse. (laughs) <laughs> if it goes down and zombies are real, I'm fucking walking into them bitches. Yeah, straight on. <laughs> Fuck this. Take me. <laughs> I will be the leader of your people. Because <laughs> I ain't making it out here. We ain't foraging for shit. No. I don't want a life without chicken wings and french fries. I don't 
want who, it. Who would want that? Idiots. Fucking Go forge whatever mm-mm. fucking berries you want, but I am not about that. No, thank you. Mm-mm. So speaking of foraging, uh, they often lacked for adequate food and resorted to foraging in the nearby forest to supplement their diet. Mm. That's a tough life, man. With Jim just rambling on his own, he ended up being watched a lot by neighbor Myrtle Kennedy. She was a Nazarene preacher's wife. Oh. And Nazarene are not watching very... watching the atheist's kid. I bet yeah. that went over again. <laughs> they're not very strict. Uh, they're very strict in not switching churches. So, like, once you're in a church, like, that's your church. You don't, like, it's your gang. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't fucking... <laughs> Start hip hopping all over to these other fucking <laughs> fucking churches, okay? Like you stay at this one. It's your OG. Um <laughs> and she was uh incredibly devout, and so are Nazarenes by nature. She would take him to church where he fell in love with it, eventually impressing her with his learning of scriptures by memory. Hmm. She gave Jones a Bible and encouraged him to study it, teaching him to follow the holiness code of the Nazarene church. And then he started hopping from church to church on Sundays, taking notes. <laughs> Sometimes he would even visit two in a Sunday. Okay. He was baptized in several of them, and he would obsess over things like church. He would obsess in going and being there and being a part of it. And it kind of set him apart from other children because he had different fucking goals. <laughs> These <laughs> other fucking kids think? are like, which I don't know what the fuck they played with sticks back in those days. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I'm a child of the 90s. There's all sorts of shit. Oh. Uh, but like, while those kids are just bucking, being kids, riding bikes and shit, he's over there thumping on the Bible, man. <laughs> Commenting on his childhood, um, Jones said, I was ready to kill by the end of the third grade. I mean, I was so aggressive and hostile, I was ready to kill. Nobody gave me love and understanding. In those days, a parent was supposed to go with a child to school functions. There was some kind of school performance and everybody's parents were there but mine. I'm standing there alone. Always was alone. Which is sad. It is sad. So you're kind of starting to see these. But like, I think innately he had a, like a lack of empathy to begin with that he might have not even been born with. I'm not yeah. sure. And uh, learned how to mimic that very well. All good sociopaths do. Mm-hmm. He was fascinated. Fascinated. Fascinated by death, even in his young age, um, around nine to ten years old, he would take friends to a local casket factory to explore. First of all, where are those? Fun. And why are my friends not taking me to the <laughs> casket <Exactly>. factories? <laughs> by being this, the time it was, it was unlocked. So Jimba and all his fucking, all these fucking kids just start walking around this factory in the middle of the night. Like OSHA would wouldn't have a fucking stroke <laughs> if they saw it. <laughs> He had them lay in the caskets to see what death was like. Stop! Again. again. Where's my friends that would have me lay in a casket? Okay, first of all, I'm cool <laughs> with the casket tour, but the second you tell me to get in, I'm out this bitch. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not about that life anymore. When you say get in so you know what death is like, why? Because you're about to kill me? <laughs> I'm going to need you to back the fuck oh, up. That's my mom calling. <laughs> Gotta go. What was it? Was it? Oh, look, it's skin 30. <laughs> My pretend phone is ringing. And and don't be surprised here. After doing this a couple times, people refuse to hang with them. Shocking. <laughs> I mean, I would enjoy it. 
But apparently it's not everyone's vibe. <laughs> you also let the East State Penitentiary people take you on a self-guided tour where they lock you in by yourself. So, I mean, potato, potato. <laughs> Count me in. <laughs> Can I die? Yes. <laughs> he, uh, he would also hold very elaborate animal funerals. <laughs> he would find their corpses and gather other children for the funeral. And then he would freak, it would freak other kids out and older children would not hang with him. But the younger children would voluntarily go, but when they would try to leave, he would bully them to stay. That would have to be one of the top 10 weirdest shit I've heard. And we've done a lot of podcast episodes and I've listened to a lot and watched a lot of shows. And that's one of the top 10 weirdest fucking things I've heard. It makes me think of Pet Cemetery. Mm. Have you seen the new one? Mm-mm. In the new one, they discover that Pet Cemetery is there and these kids are coming to bury an animal and like the two of them have drums and they're just drumming and they're um, in a line with like weird ass paper mache masks uh-huh. looking fucking creepy as shit. Stoic as it all get out. And you're like, it starts oh. like that, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I must have seen <laughs> some of it. I'm just a creepy person. <laughs> he also would mutilate animals, but weirdly also take care of them. Um, once he sewed a chicken leg to a duck. He also had carrier pigeons he could not keep alive and would hold funerals for as well. He sewed a chicken leg to a duck? Mm-hmm. How'd you just keep going past that? <laughs> like, I didn't have so, any more details on that. I don't know where. Did I he mean, do it to the duck's leg? Did he do it to the duck's neck? So many questions. So All the questions. None of the answers. I never knew all this aspect of him. Interesting. I know, right? Well, here it gets better. Around 13 to 14 years old, he got an idol. Do you want to guess who the idol was? Oh, that guy that made Frankenstein? <laughs> Hitler. Oh. <laughs> You're like, oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not for his ideology. Be my first choice, but. <laughs> it wasn't for the ideology of, you know, white supremacy and all that stuff. It was actually the opposite. It was for his showboating and his ability to work a crowd, which Hitler was very well known for. He would play as if he was a Führer, and again, the older kids weren't about it, and the younger kids were bullied to stay. <laughs> <laughs> he would take the kids to a secluded area and order them to goose step while working his imaginary crowd as if it was the Nuremberg Rally. The goose step where they swing their legs yeah, real high like, and march. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. He would make them do that. Yes. At the weird-ass funerals that he had? Yes. With the duck and the chicken legs so walking around? While he was working his crowd. <laughs> Fucking nobody stepped in and was like, you know what? I have a feeling this is going to lead bad. Let's just go ahead and drive with this kid off a bridge right now. Yeah, let's not do this. This (laughs) I think this is like in the 40s. So like. I don't like to call people weird, but. That kid was fucking weird. (laughs) That is like, I'd be like, uh, little Johnny, you're not going over there and playing with little weird ass Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Well, if kids didn't goose step in the right way. He would hit them in the legs with a stick as punishment. Of course he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. He learned that kids who loved his attention were much more allegiant than the ones who were older and happier. He realized that those lonely and disadvantaged children could be puppeted quite easily. Sure, because they were part of something and they didn't have that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. He became a voracious reader and he also studied some more of his heroes. Joseph Stalin, Karl Marx, Mao Zedong, and Mahatma Gandhi. Makes 100% sense. (laughs) While he was a cult leader, and he was leading, obviously, for all the wrong reasons, he actually did believe in social justice and equality. Like, he was very big on, like, desegregation and stuff. 
Hmm. In the 1940s, as a kid, he would venture over to the African-American part of town and preach on the street corners about equality. In those days, white people did not go into the black people town, part of town. Like, that was just like, an, that's like going to the hood or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were not about it, even though it was literally the same in those states. Well, just one full of black people and one full of white people. If you were a white person and you went to the black areas and you tried to preach about in, uh, inequality and being equal, I mean, you've face the same fate as the KKK would do to black people. You just were not there to rally for them. And that was very like frowned upon. It was dangerous to do. Oh yeah. And it was so odd that people would actually listen to him because it was very like, like you ever come across like a, someone, a street performer doing something so wild and that you just you don't intend away. to stop, but you can't stop. You just stop and oh, get yeah. stuck. One, you know, just a white person being there preaching equality and two, it was one of the most active. A white man on top of that. Yeah. Well, he was like a kid. He was like fucking 10. But he was still yeah, he a was white, white man. Yeah. In at that area in that time was one of the most active parts of the country for KKK. Oh, wow. So it was super dangerous. To add to the weirdness factor, he was also obsessed with sex, which I mean, it's not uncommon for young boys, but also not something they would openly spout knowledge about. And his mother was highly sexualized. Especially for that time period, because, you know, uh, it was a bit more people wanted more conservative. Like, you didn't talk about those things out loud. She would talk openly about sexual acts and things like that in front of people, no matter how uncomfortable it made the room. Which, bro, read the room. Should be taught in school because <laughs> the cringe factor here would be astronomical. Agreed. Could you imagine, like... No, Being I don't a, even want to. Don't a twelve-year-old and your mom coming in talking about getting laid last night in front of all your fucking friends. Jennifer, like I said, I didn't even want you to mutter it out of your mouth. I, I'm gonna do it. You know how I do. <laughs> you know me, girl. <laughs> no, that's I. Even at the age the boys are right now, if I was like, well, me and JJ were getting it on last night, they uh, they'd probably puke all over my house. Oh yeah, okay, like oh my mom. Yeah, yeah, gross. <laughs> now we know all this about his. First formative years. Let's talk about his school career. <laughs> he was kind of snotty in school, acting above everyone else, even though he was dirt ass fucking poor. Um, he would not speak to anyone unless spoke. He spoke first. So, like, if you walked up and you were like, "Hey, Jim," he'd fucking straight ass ignore you, you until he spoke to you. <laughs> uh, he wore his Sunday best every fucking day. Ain't um, mad at you. We had a weirdo like that in every fucking school. Somebody who wore like. Tie Kelly, my little sister, would wear ties to school, but it was also the Avril Lavigne era, so I don't ah. think that counts. But like he was wearing like seersucker fucking decked out. <laughs> like I'm ready. Is it Easter? <laughs> <laughs> um, he was terrible at sports, but he loved to coach. Which, if you think about it, in a way, that's kind of like a cult leader. Oh Other yeah, coaches. I'm I'm noticing a theme of he wants to be in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. He would start a basketball league and all was fantastic till he dropped a puppy through a trap door to its death. And that was the end of that. How does that even like accidentally happen? Oh, it was no accident. It definitely was no accident. And also, I don't know. They, I don't know how they got the trap door in a, in a gymnasium. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's where I'm like. But all I can think is sure like going he on had here. this group of kids and. All I can think is, like, he made them go to, like, the theater or something. Because most schools have them. And, but, like, great kids, look at this. 
Oh my god! Maybe this was his first attempt at seeing how to control a group of people. Like I got you all together on a similar interest at basketball, but now I'm going to do this really twisted thing and see like what kind of reaction and how devoted you are to me. Kind of, you get what I'm saying? Oh yeah. The kind of mindset that we're, that's a cyclical thing that's going to happen over and over again for him. Things he's seeing how he can push people. Yeah. Seeing what control he has. It's just wild that he's a kid at this time, you know, his religious fervor would continue to grow with him, carrying his Bible around school every day. And then his parents finally divorced in 1945, followed by him graduating in 1948. He started focusing on the apostolic, 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 there you go, apostolic sect of Christianity, where they believed in laying hands to heal. Have you been to one of those? I am not. Have you been to one of those um, speaking in tongues churches? Um, I have been to one, but I've never like really, really seen it. But I've seen like a little bit of it when I've gone to church before. I've seen, I've seen those like the speaking in tongues and laying hands. I've not been to a snake church, which is something I would want to do, but only behind glass, like an observatory kind of situation. Like I don't want um, my brother's ex-wife, his family would go to the snake handling church where they, yeah, did he go? I believe he did. Yeah, once, Ooh, and then he, he was like, "Live dangerous." He's like, what's going on? What's somebody going to drop a fucking rattlesnake? No, 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 Look, whatever entity you believe in, I believe that they put their protection over you. can pray to them. You can do all that. But I also don't believe in being like, let's see if God really loves me. I still think he expects me to use good judgment. Let me just fling this bitch around and see if I get it agitated enough. Jesus loves me. I mean, just because Jesus loves me doesn't mean I can go play in traffic and I'm covered. I'm straight. (laughs) I'm good. This is all theoretical things. Okay, kids? I don't think it works that way, people. Of course, these are very theatrical and that is exactly what he had been looking for this whole time. Oh, yeah. He was not actually interested in religion per se. He's like, this is my chance. But the the control, the wildness of people speaking in tongues and laying hands and fucking believing it. Um, But he also did preach on the socialist nature of Jesus, treating people equally and such. Just those churches are. hmm. Well, but what better way than to find a group of people that you can control and then preach about how they should be treated? Because a lot of times. Some of those people, not always, that can be easily controlled were kind of the outcasts. Oh, yeah. And probably picked on. So I know I can control you, but I'm going to tell you about how unfair they've treated you and how you're equal to everybody else. And I'm going to boost you up about how great you are. Of course. I mean, it's perfect. And then we're going to be thick as thieves, yeah. son. So, I'm going to give you all that praise no one ever gave mm-hmm. you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to let you know how you are right. You have been mistreated. Come over here to our group. I yeah. got you. It's equal here. Yep. But not really. Being destitute after his parents' divorce, he got work as an orderly at Richmond Reed's Hospital in 1946. He was very well-liked, and he loved the job. He enjoyed cleaning up bodily fluids, moving dead bodies, and disposing of amputated limbs. My hobbies, too. Okay. (laughs) Um, He also was said to make sponge baths and changing adult diapers fun by taking extra care of the elderly patients, which... He would actually become very skilled at and um, would later be used in Jonestown itself. I thought you were going to say, I really thought you were going to lead and say he became aroused. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought that's where this was leading. What was that? 
that other killer we were talking about, the um, Dusseldorf vampire. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he ejaculated. Yeah, that's <laughs> really where I thought it was going. I'm glad it didn't. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was worried, too. And don't get me wrong. Um, he was very well regarded by senior management, but staff members later recalled that Jones exhibited disturbing behavior towards some of the patients and coworkers. He began dating a nurse in training named Marceline Baldwin while he was working at Reed Hospital. Her family was actually very involved with local politics and civic manners, and she was known to have a bit of a wild streak, or as wild as it was for the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like 2022's shit, you know. Um, she was on wild, but right. she also showed her ankles. Like, calm down. Okay, Marceline, <laughs> put them bitches away. I can see the bones and all. She wasn't even interested in boys until she met Jim. They actually met over. She went too wilding out then. <laughs> right. <laughs> they actually met over preparing the corpse of an older man and was very impressed with his kindness and gentle nature towards the man's family. That is so romantic. I know, right? <laughs> he would create wild lies like his mother, but about his social justice, which of course none were true. One was that he quit the basketball team due to the coach being racist and once left a barbershop with half a haircut for the same reason. Her family just got up and walked out oh, yeah. with my high and tight, not even finished. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, the obscenity <laughs> of what they're saying in there. I believe in equality. I was basically a hero that day. She's like, oh, they're swooning. Oh my God. That's exactly Ugh. panty dropper. Panty dropper. <laughs> I mean, standing up for people's rights, it is a panty dropper, but come on, bro, get real. And just like, so many uh, people who fall in love at a young age, um, her family could not stand him. Shocking. He would have arguments with her family that would end up in screaming matches. He would cuss terribly and basically made everyone feel weird around them. <laughs> like, you wake in the room, feel weird. It's stinking with it. <laughs> he moved, uh, Jim Jones moved to Bloomington, Indiana in November 1948 to attend Indiana University Bloomington. He'd wanted to become a doctor and then changed his mind to focus on hospital uh, administration. Hmm. While at the university, he was impressed by a speech which Eleanor Roosevelt delivered about the plight of African Americans, and he began to espouse support for communism and other radical political views for the time. Wait, he was trying to get support for communism? I mean, I know Hitler was his idol, so... All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, all right. On June 12th, 1949... Him and Marceline got married. Mm -hmm. At the time, Marceline was working in a nearby hospital while he attended college. She would attend Methodist services, but with how they practiced segregation, it would not sit well with Jim, and it would cause some trouble early on in their marriage. She was extremely devout, where he would state that he could not believe in a God who would create such misery in the world. She contemplated divorce, but being the 50s, her mother talked her out of it. He tried to get... I mean, I'm loving that he's so devout to, like, racism not being okay. Like, I love that that's a common theme. And that never stops. The religion portion for him stops. Other things stop. But, like, speaking about equality and, like... I wonder what... It's crazy. What drove that to be such, like, a pressing point to him? You I mean, I guess it kind of goes to show you that even... The most evil... Can still have a kind heart? I guess. I don't know. Or some <laughs> kind of, like, they can leave some kind of positivity. He actually, like, did make a lot of fucking changes. But I think it's a mixture between his drug use and 
his whatever mental condition he had, whether it be bipolar, whatever it is. I think it's a mixture of those two things that made it off go off the rails on top of being like that kind of um, in that personality, like the same, like a sociopath. Yeah. You know, like the same thing that they say, like most CEOs and uh, presidents have. They're all sociopaths. This is no different than like certain killers who like, like Israel Keys was adamant that he wasn't going to kill children or parents. Yeah. You know how they all they all seem to have this weird morality about one thing. Yeah. You know. Like if that, this is your line? Okay. Yeah. So glad that you have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would try to get her to attend Bloomington's full gospel tabernacle. He would eventually compromise and would attend most Sundays with her despite him trying to press her at the same time to accept atheism. So this whole time, he's trying to get her to go to this tabernacle. She's over here at the Methodist. And he's like, you need to come over here. And then they compromise and they start going to church together, kind of semi, sort of regularly, only for him to be like, yo, you know Jesus ain't real, right? <laughs> you know there ain't no mythical man in the sky <laughs> sprinkling his angel dust everywhere. We might as well be praying to the Mothman. Right? <laughs> Mothman! Uh, she So they relocated to Indianapolis in 1951, where he attended Butler University, earning a degree in secondary education in 1961. At the same time, he actually joined the Communist Party USA there, which had ramifications of FBI agents harassing not only him, but even his mother, and felt persecuted for being a communist. Gosh. Rightfully so. <laughs> Despite being a communist, he was also, he was able to become a Methodist minister with the hope of putting socialism into actual practice. Oh, my. In the summer of 1952, he, hired, uh, he was hired as a student pastor at Somerset South Methodist Church, and he would launch a project to build a desegregated playground, and he would visit and speak at Pentecostal churches. Eventually, he was fired for stealing from the collection plate. <laughs> Although he claimed it was because... Um, he needed a soda. Yeah. <laughs> The, le the leaders forbade him t from integrating the church and that they were racist. Mm. Okay, so first now of all, you are crutch. a white man. You cannot be playing any kind of cards having pertaining to race. Not even a little bit. No. Especially not in that time. <laughs> no. When no, that no. was like the pinnacle of society to mm -hmm. be a white man, the whole fucking world was yours. Yeah. Nobody else is just yours. And you're like, well, it's because I'm a white man. Exactly. Uh-uh. No, sir. Ridiculous. No, sir. In 1953, he visited a Pentecostal Latter Rain convention in Columbus, Indiana, where a woman prophesied that Jones was a prophet with a great ministry. Hmm. He was surprised by the endorsement, but gladly accepted the call to preach and rose to the podium to deliver a message to the crowd. So Pentecostalism was in the midst of the healing revival and the Latter, Latter Rain movements during the 1950s. So let's talk about these for a second. Okay. We all know the trope of tent revivals. And mm -hmm. for the unaccustomed, tent revivals, also known as tent meetings, are gatherings of Christian worshipers in a tent erected specifically for revival meetings, evangelism, and healing crusades. Tent revivals have had both local and national ministries. They gained popularity during the healing revival of the mid-1940s as Pentecostals believed it was a time of great, of deep spiritual hunger. <laughs> 
The Healing Revival was led by Oral Roberts, very unfortunate name, Mm -hmm. um, Jack Coe, and William Branham. These healers would have revival meetings where they would lay hands and heal people. Branham's popularity began to grow following the 1942 meetings in Milltown, Indiana, where it was reported that a young girl had been healed of tuberculosis. Praise Jesus. Praise the Jesus. Did he also like lay hands on the person in the wheelchair and they got up and walked? That kind oh, of yeah. shit? Cool. I mm, love it. If I'm you are not Southern it. and have ever been to one of those churches where they lay hands, it is wild. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they will tell you that there's something going on with that person, even though that person has never complained about it, nor do they have it. And they're laying hands and saying, you're healed. They had it, Jennifer. They just healed them. You didn't yeah. even know. <laughs> And then, like, my grandmother believed in speaking in tongues. I remember her telling me, like, when she was a young girl and she was in the church and it was a revival and they were, and it was around this era, you know, uh, and she's just hollering and carrying on. And she said, and the Lord got in me and I just started speaking in tongues, the, uh, the, the, an- the language of angels and shit like that. And I was like, oh, my God, that okay. sounds very painful. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Do you. Yeah, you do you. <laughs> Um, uh, the same lady also told me that there is a slide straight to hell for Democrats and Jews. Oh. So. Christians, Democrats, right? Democrats, okay. Jews? Mm. Well, towards the end, the very end, she was like, Jews are yeah, I... God's chosen people. And then she finally turned around. But for I... a long run there, she was pretty fucking mean about it. I've never really done any research, but I don't understand the hate for Jews so much. But, you know. Maybe I should research that. I've just never understood. I'm like, what did they do to you? Um, I think the the very, very, very short version is that some Christians believe that Jews were responsible for Jesus's death. Oh, okay. And they, I don't know much about Judaism, so I think that they acknowledge Jesus, but I don't know if they acknowledge him as actually being the Messiah. I don't okay. know. Don't quote me on that, guys. Don't get mad. If you're Jewish and I fucked up, I'm so sorry. Tell me about it and I will correct it on the next episode. Well, and I'm just genuinely curious. Yeah, I yeah, like that's something I definitely should look at. Because people always talk about hating Jews and I never really understood why. Because I'm like, they ain't do nothing to nobody. No. They're just eating their little matzo balls and stuff. <laughs> They're just eating their little matzo balls. Minding their business. <laughs> I just I don't understand um, how people could be so anti-Semitic. Yeah. Jimmy's Fun Facts. The most glaring difference between Judaism and Christianity is that Christians accept Jesus as the Messiah and Savior. Jesus is not part of Jewish theology and is generally considered either a non-factor or a false prophet. The New Testament explains that Jesus was a Jewish victim of violence from the Romans and was condemned by the Gentile governor Pontius Pilate. But is there more to this story? It is written that high-ranking Jewish officials who owed the Romans for their positions were jealous of Jesus and saw him as a threat to the status quo. It is also written that a mob in Jerusalem called for his crucifixion, but any details regarding their identities or motivations is not known. Early Christian tradition gave rise to anti-Semitism by placing the blame of Jesus on the Jews instead of the Romans. Romans were targets of early evangelism, and this may have helped form the perception that the Romans were the heroes and Jewish people were the villains. Since the Gospels were initially written up to decades after the crucifixion, with revisions likely made up until the 3rd century by third parties, this is an entirely plausible theory. 
Regardless of who was responsible for the deicide, it seems anti-Semitism morphed with the times to fit into historical events. And we all know that the winners write the history books. Oh, okay. <laughs> what is Pentecostalism? It adheres to the inerrancy of the Bible and the necessity of the new birth. An individual repenting of their sin and accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But he doesn't believe in Jesus, right? No. Okay, carry him. It is distinguished by belief in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that enables a Christian to live a spirit-filled and empowered life. This empowerment includes the use of spiritual gifts such as speaking in tongues, divine healing, the two defining characteristics of Pentecostalism. The healing revival hit its peak in the 1950s, and then it blended into the latter rain movement. Billy Graham, you know who that is. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know, he was like a very famous Southern preacher who also uh, was very big into um, equality and stuff. Also, I don't think he was that great of a person, too. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know as much about I should do it. Very on that. Joel o Osteen type of. Yeah, kind of. Very. I need to look that up. <laughs> I need to know. That's like, what I'll I be doing at 3 a.m. tonight. The Jews now. <laughs> I need to know about the Jews of Billy, Gar Billy Graham. <laughs> and so uh, he led the movement. And the term latter rain stems from Bible passages such as Jeremiah 3.3, Joel 2.23, Hosea, Zechariah, James, all these different fucking books, verses, blah, blah, blah. Um, the idea of the latter rain was not new to Pentecostals. It was present from the earliest days of Pentecostalism, which believed that the reappearance of speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit marked the latter rain of God's people. It was believed that these were signs of the coming end of history, so the apocalypse. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost has been the former rain that established the church, but the current move of the Spirit was the latter rain. And that would bring the church's work to completion and culminate in the imminent second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't think that happened, though. These very beliefs <laughs> and revivals actually spurred the charismatic movement. Um, some people might have heard that. These are things that you might not think you need to know, but I feel like it does help explain how somebody like him could be so popular. Um, I mean, because what is Christianity but a big cult? True. This would branch Christianity in a lot of ways. Some practiced speaking in tongues. Some did not. There were tent revi revivals that grew into the scourge of televangelism. Why is this important? Because Jim decided he was a faith healer and would use the same tactics as revival preachers on his followers. He successfully convinced his wife to leave Methodist Church and join the Pentecostals. In 1953, Jones began attending and preaching at Laurel Street Tabernacle in Indianapolis a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church. Jones held healing revivals there until 1955 and began to travel and speak to other churches in the latter rain movement. He was a guest speaker at the 1953 convention in Detroit, in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> I was. I'm glad you cleared that up. Thank you. I know, there was One a very pressing question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, the Assemblies of God's weren't really into the latter day latter rain movement so by 1955 they assigned a new pastor and they would ban healing revivals causing jim to leave he rented a space in indianapolis and he called it community unity at first oh i'm loving the name community mm. unity oh, well, i got a ring to it 
Um, while he did poach some of the parishioners, it was not enough to support his vision, and he began seeking other ways to popularize his ministry and recruit people to join. Let's talk about community unity. <laughs> this was a small. This was small at the beginning, but the attendance would grow as his reputation did. But how did he do it? He would hold service and ask people what was bothering them. One example was an elderly lady whose lights, although paid for, never worked properly. And so they were flickering and she'd lose power for hours at a time. So he and this old lady and other members sat down, helped her draft a letter to see about getting this taken care of. When she came back the next week, the problem had been solved. You come to church and you come away with something that, and it's a huge influence on members, especially with your retention and your acquisition of members. If they know that they're, it's like, you come here, we'll help you with your light bill. Yeah, like, oh. you know, people, there's churches, like, you think, I think, like, a lot of the churches I've went to, you go, you sit down, we're reading a little book, we're singing a little song, and then we go out and have some fried chicken. Do I really gain anything? Not really. But in those churches, they do. There's a tangible thing happening that really puts a hook in them, makes them feel like they owe them that. They owe their time to it. Sure. Everybody feels like they need to get something to be devoted to something. Here's another way. <laughs> to raise money, he would go door to door and sell guests. Guess what this? Guess what it is? Vacuums. Yep. Uh-huh. Monkeys. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> for $38, which is about $424 in today's money. Damn. Where is he getting these monkeys? Nobody knows. Uh, would he would use this as an opportunity to recruit people to come visit the church? Like he placed an ad. It's like you can pet my monkey. He <laughs> 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 would put, place an ad, and I think it was like the Indianapolis Star, saying like I'm selling monkeys or whatever. And then people would call him. He'd come with the fucking monkeys and shit. And he'd be like, "By the way, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my church. Let me tell you about my hands and heels." It's like a timeshare. You get a free vacation. Just come <laughs> listen. <laughs> You buy a monkey, I'll give you 10% off if you talk, come to church on Sunday. <laughs> One lady um, whose monkey had hung himself. Hung himself? Yes. Like he made a little monkey noose? Like, yeah. Like, I don't know exactly. He didn't. I don't think he made a noose. <laughs> but he hung himself and died. And so she needed, of course, a replacement monkey. And so she calls Jim. And he gave her one free of charge. And no, well, I mean, she still bought one, but he healed her arthritis. Oh, okay. And she was in it to win it, baby. That was Edith Cordell. And uh, I think she went to Jonestown. He also went back to the revival circuit as a healer. He would draw huge crowds with his sermons and healing. One couple, Jim and Claire Phillips, had a son whose heart had a defect. And Jim healed him. I can't. These fucking people. Truthfully, the it was, kid died, didn't he? No, it was probably an early misdiagnosis and not an actual healing. Surprise. Um, <laughs> or it's one of those heart defects that over time corrects itself. Like when the hole doesn't close all the way between oh, yeah. the heart, it usually, as they grow, will heal itself. So exactly. it's probably something like that. Like a soft spot on their head? Yeah. What do they call that? Fro um, Fontanelle. Fontanelle, that's it. It's a cool word. That I hate soft sounding. spots. I hate <laughs> soft spots. They fucking freak me out. They do. They're fucking weird. They get like, a pulse. Like one uh, comedy, he's like, if 
you're going to put a self-destruct button on a child. <laughs> oh, no. Could you hide it a little better? <laughs> Makes me think of alligators. Just got to shoot them right in the soft spot. <laughs> he also attracted people for the racial quality he promoted, like Jack and Ray of Viana, whose previous church refused to integrate. He would hold healing sermons with some of his most loyal followers and become plants who would be eventually become plants in the audience. It was people who wasn't as religious, but knew this needed to be done in order to accomplish the mission of spreading his gospel. He would bring two of those people in and would go over the plan for the healing. In the service, he would call one of those two and say, you have cancer, and have the other escort them to the bathroom so they can flush off the cancer. Of course, this was like telepathy, and he would remain on stage while his magic happened. Then they would return um, it with a napkin with a rotting, bloody, foul-smelling lump of flesh. And he, they would show that to people and be like, the cancer's been expelled. They would keep it at a distance so people would not look so closely by telling him it was infectious. But don't worry about the person holding it, though. Jim kept him safe with his Jesus powers. <laughs> I'm just going to get up and leave right now because I can't. It was actually chicken guts that were left to rot for a few days before, you know, just to give it that good smell and patina. Oh, yeah. Give that good cancer look. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. All these people would be so loyal and trusting that they would die by his side in Guyana. In 1955, Jones began working at the Independent Assemblies of Gods who embraced the latter rain movement. William Branham was a famous healing evangelist that we were talking about earlier and a Pentecostal leader in global healing revival. And Jim would use his connection with the well-known figure of the church to gain his endorsement as a healer, as well as draw large crowds to grow his congregation. Jim was inspired how Branham would work a congregation with his healing via sign gifts. Supplicants seeking healing submitted prayer cards to Branham's campaign team, stating their name, address, and condition. Branham's team would then select a number of the submissions to be prayed for personally by Branham and an organized prayer line. After completing his sermon, he would proceed with the prayer line where he would pray for the sick. Branham would tell the supplicants what they suffered from, their name, and their address. He was also credited for inspiring the ministering methods that televangelists used. Um, with attendance burgeoning and outgrowing the rented church, Jim had to search for a new place to preach in. And in 1956, he purchased an old synagogue with the word temple etched in stone and thus renamed the church People's Temple Full Gospel Church and would affectionately be known as the People's Temple. Bum, bum, bum. That was a long ass initial name. Right? <laughs> like, we don't, we're just calling us the People's Temple. Like, I ain't got time we're for all that other this shit. Out. We got gospel up in there. We got church up in there. We're like, <laughs> can we. <laughs> Church and temple is the same fucking thing. <laughs> These people. They're driving me crazy. They're annoying me. But, you know, of course, Jim and Marceline are married. And like all Oh, young that's colors, right. He's still married. He's married. And all young couples, they want to start a family. A family. They were having trouble getting pregnant. So they decided they wanted to make what they both called their rainbow family and adopt children of different races and make this rainbow family. They first tried to adopt Marceline's cousin, Ronnie, who was a child. Um, Jim tried to convince the child that his family hated him and that only Jim could take care of him. 
And then when he left, Jim took it as a personal betrayal, which was common as a reaction for him anytime. So he any- just went and tried to take a family member's kid? Yeah. Like, uh, you see that's not how adoption kid? works, though. <laughs> you don't just go take kids from families that are fine. Yeah, like, no, you're, mm Also, like, this is exactly what he pretty much did with people all throughout his life as a cult leader. They're treating you like shit. Only I can treat you the way you need to be treated. And you either believed him or you were like this kid, like, fuck out of here. Yeah. (laughs) I would love to say that I'm a fuck out of here person, but I don't know. I think I am. (laughs) Oh, I know you are. (laughs) I know you are. All you'd have to, you'd, if it even, looks like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> That's when I would be out. So you just have to tell me it's like Avon. I'd be like, ah, no. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> if it was just a normal cold, I'd be like, yeah, let's get, let's do this. <laughs> Got any refreshments around? What's our mantra? What's our chant? Let me know. <laughs> let me write. Let me get What's my our chant? <laughs> <laughs> and so he would get he would have this feeling of personal betrayal anytime someone left the cult and he did the same thing in this situation with Ronnie. Ronnie didn't want to stay and he was like, the fuck this kid's problem is? Doesn't he know what I could do for him? Their first child, Agnes, was adopted in 1954 and she was Indigenous American. They wanted to adopt an African American child at first, but it was kind of unheard of Indiana at the time, so they just went for like that Mid-color, I guess. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, Angelina Jolie much? Like, are we... (laughs) Like, they're not Pokemon cards. Damn. In 1959, they adopted three Korean-American children named Lou, Stephanie, and Suzanne. They encouraged Temple members to adopt orphans from war-ravaged Korea. Again, trying to collect children's. (laughs) In 1959, they had their only biological child named Stephen Gandhi. Mm. Precious. Original. So precious, right? So original. When Marceline became pregnant, she had a terrible time and had to remain on bed rest quite often. One evening, very close to the end of her pregnancy, Jim took the kids and went with the temple on an outing to the movies. On the way back, five-year-old Stephanie rode with another church member, but tragedy struck when they were hit by a drunk driver killing Stephanie. Marceline recalled later that she woke up in a fog with Stephanie outside the front door calling for her. And when she came to the door and asked where her father, speaking of Jim, was, she was too tired to speak and laid her in her bed and went back to bed herself. Later on, then closer to dawn, Jim woke Marceline to tell her the devastating news. And she was super confused because she had just seen her. Right. Was that true? Who knows? Uh, Jim Jones was a huge believer in reincarnation, and Marceline emphatically believed Jim in anything that he did. Like any good woman does, worship her man, right? Stand by your man. (laughs) Give him two arms to cling to. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that, Jennifer. You're welcome. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Stephen was actually named after Stephanie. So named after your dead sister and a guy who likes to sleep next to virgins. Great. I mean, that's just. <laughs> and set- a cult leader. That's a three one. <laughs> that's setting you up for a bright future. Get out the sunshades. Right. <laughs> your future is so bright. <laughs> In 1961, 
they finally completed their collection with a black child. And they named him Jim Jones Jr. Hands across America. Right? They named it the Rainbow Family. And he once said that integration was more a personal thing with me now. To question my son's future. Using his children as influence to gain equality for all people. So it's like one of those like double-edged swords. Like, you're fucking using your kids. But, I mean, I get what you're using them for. <laughs> Another huge influence on Jim, like the latter rain movement, would be Father Divine. And he went out to meet him for the first time in 1956 in good old Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love. <laughs> His full self-given name was Reverend Major Jealous Divine, and he was known as the messenger early in his life. His doctrine taught that his life fulfilled all biblical prophecies about the second coming regarding himself as Jesus Christ reborn. How many people can be Jesus Christ reborn? We've heard that a lot. Apparently a lot can. Like, Jesus, how many were you? It's your job to filter through and find the real one. All right. That's a lot of work. <laughs> Fuck that. Father Divine also lectured that Christ existed in every joint of his followers' bodies and that he was God's light incarnated in order to show people how to establish heaven on earth and to show them the way to eternal life. No surprise, due to his ideology, many people considered him to be a cult leader. I know. Bow, bow, bow. Crazy. He founded the International Peace Mission Movement, formulated its doctrine, and oversaw its growth from a small and predominantly black congregation into a multiracial and international church. This doctrine was about being chaste, pure, sober, pretty much boring, but he did not participate himself. He had a harem of woman. He drank, he smoked, and he lived a wild fucking lifestyle. He loved nice clothes and nice cars. And loose women. I live the pure life. <laughs> I'm chaste. I have a pure mouth. I don't drink. I only eat fruits and vegetables that I forage from the forest. <laughs> I already know that's a lie. <laughs> you could go out to your fucking apartment complex. Look, there's an acorn. <laughs> that's all I need to be sustained on Acorns Jesus Christ. roasting to over big lighter. <laughs> Jesus Christ sustains me on the rest. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> We're fucked. <laughs> Much. <laughs> he was with his idea of reincarnation, which was fucking wild in its own. The This kind of, kind of, this reincarnation stuff really got running when his first wife, Penaniah, died in 1943. To replace Penaniah, he married Canadian and white girl, Edna Rose Etchings, in 1946. And when her visa expired, he finally had to admit that she existed and that he was married to her. But he twisted it and was like, you know what it is? This is <laughs> Penaniya, baby. She just reincarnated. And we all gonna call her Mother Sweet Angel Divine. I just want to say I'm very disappointed that JJ doesn't call me that. <laughs> yeah, I Call me Mother Sweet Angel divine yeah <laughs> gonna go home and let him know today go ahead and change my name in the phone everything D done. that is the only way i'm to be addressed i'm changing into my phone right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> so he always preached that he was immortal and when your wife dies how do you look immortal okay well you don't. just because i'm immortal don't mean this hoe is <laughs> that's good point good point <laughs> 
So he decided to, you know, let me tighten up this theory and throw in some reincarnation. I'm not saying I'm my spirit's not dying. That's what I meant by immortal. Well, you're immortal through reincarnation. Mm-hmm, you're never mm-hmm. really dead. You just move to the next body and being. <laughs> and, it, you know, it's funny. It's like it was not even like his something that he even used until she died. And then like after that, there was no, nothing to be said about it. Like he it was, was like, like a blip. Um, yeah, it was reincarnation. Y'all knew that's what I meant the whole time when I said immortal, right? What? what? I thought y'all knew that. Okay, well, let me tell you about it. Since y'all are, like, behind. <laughs> let me get you up to speed. Know this. <laughs> Fathers believed. Oh, that's right. He's father something and she's mother, sweet mm. angel divine. Oh, father okay, divine. Okay. Sweet mother angel divine. Okay, now I'm getting a clear picture of what this all looks like. <laughs> Followers believe that Penaniya was an exceptional case and viewed her return as a miracle. Duh. So while publicly disavowing many of Father Divine's religious teachings, um, he actually began to promote his teachings on communal living and gradually implemented many of his outreach practices that he witnessed at the Peace Mission, including setting up a soup kitchen and providing free groceries and clothing to people in need. He made his second visit to Father Divine in 1958 to learn more about his practices. He would brag about his congregation and that he would like to be the successor for Father Divine and made many comparisons between their two ministries. Hey, newsflash, Jim Jones, you can't be a successor to someone who's immortal. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's, well, I was going to say, like, Prince Charles, but that happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, King Charles, sorry, my bad. Jones began progressively implementing the disciplinary practices he learned from Father Divine as well. And Jones' custom of tape recording all his sermons was copied from Divine, who spoke to his followers via archived sermon tapes once ill health forced him to cease speaking at his meetings. I guess when you're immortal, you're not impervious from the <laughs> flu or whatever. But that's where we're going to leave off for now because things are going to escalate quite quickly in this formation of the cult. And we're going to talk about Jim Jones' love for amphetamines and how the path to Jonestown was laid. Yay. Some cult safety. Um, case that you are in the cult or realize it after listening to this here are some resources the freedom of mind resource center the cult education institute encourage survivors of cult and abuse hope valley counseling for our uk listeners international cultic studies association and its partner spiritual abuse resources if you need help and things are just overwhelming we don't mind getting you to your closest resource so if you're listening just shoot us a message we judge not well, I mean, not on that, anyways. No, not on that. <laughs> if you're wearing socks and sandals, I'm judging you. 100%. If you don't believe in Mothman, I'm judging you. Okay. I got Mothman-itis. <laughs> yeah. How can you help us make this a full-time job? Subscribe and rate us on all our platforms. All of them. Follow us on socials. DM us if you have any of your own too-close-to-home stories. And check out our merch. We got some cute stuff, so if you want to rep us. Help us out. Out. You know what I'm saying? Leave us a review. Yeah. But tell uh, your friends about us. We're gonna pick up on part two very soon. You kids get ready for a whole lot of depressing shit. And until next time, <laughs> stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it so close to home that uh you invite Jim Jones over for dinner. I mean, you end up with raw chicken guts. <gasps> Look, she passed the cancels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, precious. <laughs>
<laughs> Bless her pea picking heart. Bless it. Bless it. Bye. Hallelujah. Bye. Testify. <laughs> yes. If you enjoyed this episode of Too Close to Home, don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on most platforms. Follow us on our social media at Too Close Home Pod on Facebook, at Too Close Podcast on Instagram, or if you have your own Too Close to Home experience, shoot us your story at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>